are starting a new series today and uh, get to, right to the title. The title is Rise to the Challenge. Now, there's a reason for this particular series. Uh, I believe with all my heart that you and I are living at a time in human history where we are going to face unique challenges, challenges that no other group of people have ever faced before. 108 billion people, they estimate, have ever lived and died on planet Earth, uh, but only about 3% of that number has even had such a thing as electricity so we are living in a very unique time but we are going to face and we are facing some very unique challenges so let me get right to the point life is a never-ending series of challenges from birth to death there's just one after another we, we can't avoid them they are ever present until our very last breath and that's going to be a challenging transition sometimes we choose the challenges and sometimes the challenges choose us. Sometimes we choose a challenge like, you know, we're going to run a marathon, we're going to learn a new language, we're going to learn an instrument, we're going to learn some new job skill. And so sometimes we choose the challenge, and then other times circumstances just occur. We have no choice whatsoever. The challenges choose us. The only thing we choose is will we rise or will we be crushed by the challenge? And then thirdly this, Unless we rise to the God-given challenges, we unnecessarily forfeit the God-given opportunities they bring. So if you have put your trust in Christ and you are a Christ follower, you need to understand that every challenge that we face in this life, God's hands have been on it. He's allowed it at least, and they are opportunities for you and I to, to grow, to become more Christ-like, to become more effective servants of God, to have more influence, to have more impact. But it requires that we rise to the challenges and not be, like I said earlier, crushed by those. So in this series, we're going to look at three particular challenges that Christians since Jesus' day right down to today have had but they are unique in their intensity today, and they will continue to become more intense as time goes on. We're going to deal with, first of all, the challenge of the Scripture calls the world. We're going to deal with what Scripture calls the challenge of the flesh. We'll unpack all those in the second message. And then finally, uh, the challenge of the devil, Lucifer, the, the, you know, the, kind of the author of evil. Then we're going to look at three attitudes that I must, you must, we must incorporate if we're going to be able to rise to these challenges. And so that'll be the sixth message series. Well, today we're going to talk about rising to the challenge of the world. And to introduce this, I'm going to start with a passage of Scripture from John 17. And let me give you some context. When you come to John 17, Jesus' ministry is ending. He is about to go to the cross. He is hours away from the cross. He has prepared His disciples He has told them He's going to die, but He also promised He would rise again. This is literally Jesus' last prayer with His disciples. He, he wants them to hear His prayer for them. And you might, might talk away, it's, it's meant to be carried right down to us today. So we're listening into Jesus' very last prayer with His disciples just prior to the cross. He says, I have given them your word. So He's talking to the Father. He says, I have given them your word. Keep that in mind. I've given them your word. Three and a half years, Jesus has been giving his followers the, the word of God, the revelation, the truth about God, the truth about life. I've given them your word, and the world does what? Hates them because they do not belong to this world or to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Pause for one minute. As you and I sit here today, as I stand here, you sit there, uh, God looks at each of our hearts, and He says, 
you are of the world, you're not of the world. You are of the world, you're not of the world. You are of the world, you're not of the world. As we see there, every single one of us are either of the world or we're in the world, a part of the world. Now, you might be wondering, uh, Randy, what are you talking about? We're obviously in the world. Scripture uses the word world in three different ways. It uses it of people, you know, like God so loved the world. Um, So it can sometimes mean just people. It can mean just planet Earth. But in this case, it's talking about something very different. We'll, We'll unpack that progressively as we go on. But I want you to just let this sink in for a minute. As we sit here and God by his spirit is you know trying to communicate with each of us in our hearts he sees us as those that are either right now belong to the world or we don't belong to the world and you need to be able to answer that and i need to be able to answer that i I need to know and you need to know am i of the world or do i not belong to the world Let let me start again i have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Now, what did that mean, to keep them safe from the evil one? So Jesus is saying, I don't want you to take them out of the world, but I want you to keep them safe from the evil one. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Jesus was about to go to the cross. He knew it. He had told his disciples. He was about to be um, physically beaten and whipped. He was going to be mocked. He was going to be stripped of his clothing. He was going to be nailed to a cross. So obviously he was not including being delivered from the evil one as, as not undergoing hardships as he himself was un- going to undergo hardships. So what did he mean? you know don't take them out of the world but keep them safe from the evil one he meant that those that had trusted in him that we would stand firm that we would stand faithful that we would not lose our trust that we would not turn away from christ that we would not turn away from righteousness that we would not succumb to the power and the pressure of the world of evil and that's what he meant by keep them safe he did not mean circumstantially safe because in the chapter before this in john 16 33 he said in this world we will have trouble but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, meaning that the world could not influence his conduct. So let's go on. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Once again, do I belong to the world? Do you belong to the world? Or do I not belong to the world? And we'll get into what that means. It goes on. Make them holy by your truth. Now, he started out by saying, I've given them your word, and the the world hates them. Now he says, make them holy christ-like righteous loving god-like by your truth you and i will grow if we've trusted christ we will grow as we take god's word in understand it internalize it put it into practice in our life it will gradually change our character and we will be the kind of people that god created us to be and do the kind of things that god created us to do make them holy by your truth teach them your word here it is again i said it's in the first service i'm going to say it now there's a great time of sifting coming you're going to live to see it and the sifting is going to surround the word of god there's going to be those that for whatever reason never took the word of god into their minds into their souls into their hearts never took the time to study the word of god for themselves never took the time to internalize it never put it into practice in their lives and they're going to be sifted out as circumstances start to change and then there are those that like these disciples jesus talked to they had received god's word they had internalized his word 
and they were going to live the rest of their life proclaiming his word some of us in here we've we've taken god's word we study it diligently we give all the effort all the time necessary because we know that there's nothing more important on this planet than the revelation that god's given of himself the truth about god the truth about life his plans his purposes his promises and so we we joyfully invest heavily in understanding god through his word a time of sifting is coming i'm telling you mark my words if you are one that has been negligent about taking in the word of god and studying it and internalizing it and putting it in practice you're going to be in a deep set of circumstances you're you're going to have a lot of trouble with what is coming so he says just as you sent me into the world i am sending them into the world so jesus started out by saying you know because they're not of the world not of the world the world hates them uh, and I'm not of the world, they're not of the world, and, but I'm sending, you in, sending them back into the world just the way he was sent. Well, the world hated Christ, ultimately put him on a cross because his entire life was dedicated to revealing the truth about God. When we look at Jesus, we see God fully unveiled as he really is. We particularly see God unveiled when Christ is on the cross. Here's the almighty creator. He has all power in heaven and earth. He can do whatever he wants, but he chooses to give himself sacrificially to regain the broken trust with the human family. He, he wants us to know that he's not just the almighty creator, but he's the safest, most gentle, most loving, most kind, most beautiful person in the universe. That, that when we put our trust in him, it's the safest, wisest decision we could ever do. Everybody's following somebody. Who better to follow than Christ the creator who sacrificially loves us even when we're living apart from his word and will, living in sin. So Jesus was a dangerous person because he came revealing the truth. He dedicated his life to revealing the truth about God and the truth about life. Now he says to his followers, he says, just like I was sent into the world, I'm sending you into the world. We are to be, as his followers, those that make known the truth about God and the truth about life as it's revealed in his word, as we've internalized it, now we live it out before the eyes of watching people and we speak it out when we seize those opportunities to do so. So we are meant to be dangerous people. People that bear the truth are dangerous in a beautiful, good way. Let's, let's give a little definition for this word world. I gave you earlier, you know, it can mean people, it can mean the earth, but, but it means a system. A system of living based on a view of life that disregards the truth about God and the truth about life. And we're going to add to this definition. But essentially, when we're talking about the world, it is a view, it is a system, it is a belief, it is a set of beliefs about life, but it disregards God and it disregards His revelation in the Bible, it disregards His truth, and so by its own observation, its own choices, its own desires, it creates kind of a, a sort of a set of beliefs about life. And every one of us in here, we, we have a worldview. It's either God's view or it's one that we've received from our upbringing or from others that have been around us or just things we've heard or things that we like. Nevertheless, we, we all have one. So let's start out when we talk about this world system. Let's recognize its pervasiveness. You can't, I can't, we can't escape it. We are in this world system. It is a world system that disregards the truth of God, but you and I can't we can't walk away from it. We are in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. To be of the world, it means that we are embracing it. We're going along with its thoughts, its beliefs, its systems. But if we're 
Christ followers, we're in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. Now, I want to give you an example of what, what we're talking about a little bit when we say the world and the way it, it, it fixes our minds and gives us a view of life. I'm going to show you a little clip. It's only a one-minute clip from North Korea. Now, it's really hard for us to understand what life in North Korea is like. 25 million people, 60% uh, of the population is in dire poverty. I mean, literally, they, they've gone through periods of starvation. They only make about $2,000 a year average. But it's a world they live in with a complete blackout of information. There's only a few hand-picked people that are part of the government that have access to the Internet. So all they know is the information in there. For example... Uh, if you read up on this, the people that live in North Korea, they are taught that their country is like the best country to be in on the planet. That their beloved leader, Kim Jong-un, that, that he is giving them the best life possible of any people on the planet. They, they tell them things like whenever the Olympic Games are held, they win all the Olympic events. It, it doesn't matter what it is, they win. They're the best. They're the brightest. They're the wealthiest. They've got it made. And it's all a lie. These people live in, in one of the most poor countries on the face of the earth. And, and they are so afraid of someone penetrating their system of darkness with the truth that if you try to get the truth into that country in any way, shape, or form, you will be immediately arrested. And again, you can't get out of that country either. If you try to escape, you will be arrested and probably put in you know, one of these camps, labor camps for the rest of your life. One of, this thing, one of the things that people have done, though, and this, is, this was really fascinating when I read up on this, they've, they've smuggled in old American movies and old American TV shows. And so they smuggle these in, and when the people of North Korea watch these clandestinely, they, they see the silliest things that we wouldn't think anything of. They see that, first of all, Americans have plenty of food. <laughs> Americans just drive cars. Most of them are on bicycles. They see that even when, this is a true part of the article, even when Americans are arrested in these, you know, cop and robber TV shows, that Americans are read their rights. And they're like, rights? What are rights? You're, they treat even their criminals polite. So they're terrified that the light of the truth will penetrate their dark society of lies. The whole society is a scam. It's, it's a con. It's a manipulation. The people are enslaved, and they are terrified of those that carry in the light of the truth. The world system is exactly like that. 
It wants to keep us in the dark. It doesn't want us to know the truth about God and life. It doesn't want us to know that immortality is available. It doesn't want us to know the forgiveness of sins is available. It doesn't want us to know that there's a personal God who is intimate and loving and caring and who is for us and not against us and who meant this life to be a developmental journey leading right into eternity. It doesn't want us to know that all of your best days, my best days, are out ahead of us not behind us doesn't want us to know these truths wants to keep us in darkness but it's a scam it's a manipulation it's enslavement those people are kept enslaved by the messaging of their system the world when scripture talks about the world system it's the same thing it's the system that keeps us enslaved it keeps us in the dark and it's terrified of those carriers of the truth Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you know, the world hates you because you've received my word. And now I'm sending you into the world the way the Father sent me into the world to be those that carry the truth to a world that's in darkness. I'm just curious, uh, how many people in here today, there was at some point in your life that, that someone in some way spoke to you about Christ or maybe gave you an invite to church? Can I see your hands? You see, look at the whole, it was the same way in the first service truth carriers truth carriers are beautifully dangerous people we we do these seemingly little things and the lights come on in people's lives and it completely changes the trajectory of their life they go from living as though this life is all there is and and you just got to kind of make the best of it to living for eternity they go from not knowing who they are why they're here how they got here where they're going why the world is the way it is where it's going to being people that understand all those things based on God's revelation and the lights come on and they start living wisely and productively they become beautiful they become forgiving they become kind they become compassionate passionate they become generous they become what jesus called lights lights in this dark world and you have power you the powers of darkness are very frightful of you letting your light sharing your truth in a dark world the world wants to keep everybody in dark wants to keep everyone in prison let's look at some scripture to talk about this a little more in galatians chapter 1 verse 4 the apostle paul writing to the followers of christ living in galatia he says about jesus who gave himself for our sins, why, slash, so that he might deliver us from the what? Present evil world. Well, how, how, how does the sacrificial death of Jesus deliver us from this present evil world? It obviously, it doesn't take us out of the world. What is it talking about? Well, it's talking about influence on our minds. It's talking about it changes the way we view things. When I see that, that the creator and sustainer of the universe is also the most sacrificially loving, forgiving, beautiful, gentle person, I go from distrust to trusting in him. I go from following my ways to following him and his ways because he's won my trust. And my eyes get opened and I see that the world and the way it functions, the way the masses, the way the majority are going, that it's not the way that God intended us to live, not the way he intended us to go. I start following Jesus. I start embracing his view of life as it's revealed in his word the bible and if i didn't say it enough earlier i'm gonna say it again man if you're not studying the word of god if you don't cherish the bible if you're not putting effort in if you don't own a study bible 
And if you don't even know what a study Bible is, well, you go out and look in our store before you leave here today. You don't have to buy anything. Just see what one is. It's never been easier to understand the Word of God. I know it's kind of hard when you first start studying it. That's why a study Bible can be so helpful. You have all these notes that guide you through it. But if you and I are lazy, and that's why we end up being in the dark, and that's why we end up being deceived, and that's why we end up being in a panic at a time in human history where the pressure is going to get increasingly dire well then we have no, I don't, i'm not trying to be a hard case here but we have no one to blame but ourselves. love the word of god cherish the word of god study the word of god give yourself to the study of the word of god you will you will regret a lot of the investments of time you make in your life you will never invent or, or regret the investments of time you make in god's word so he gave himself to save us from this present evil age in obedience to the will of God our Father. So Jesus' sacrificial death, it's meant to change our trust. And once we trust Christ, we start embracing his point of view. And we see, whoa, this world, this is not the way life was meant to be. This world where everybody is just trying to take and con everybody and get what they can and live for momentary pleasure and, and act like a, you know this life is all there is, we, we start to wake up. Ephesians adds to this giving us more information about this world system it says once you were dead he's writing to followers of christ in the city of ephesus he says once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins we've all had many sins you used to live in sin there's a time when all this we we just we just lived in sin we just did what we wanted when we wanted how we wanted we didn't think anything of it you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world the world is a sinful mechanism obeying the devil now, here gives us a little more insight about this. This system called the world, it's, it's guided, it's directed, it's created by Lucifer, by the devil, the enemy of God. He wants to keep human beings from our God-intended destiny. He doesn't want you to know who God made you to be. He doesn't want you to experience the good life that God wanted you to experience. He does not want you to experience the eternal life and the free gift of mercy and forgiveness that God wants you to live in and lavish and enjoy. He doesn't want any human being to experience these things. So the system is, it's obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. What this is saying is that when human beings live disobedient to God's will, to God's word, which is counterproductive to ourselves, we're really in league with Satan. Satan lives disobedient to God he wants his own will above God's will some of us we don't give a rip about what God says we don't give a rip what anybody else says we're rebellious we're hard-headed we're stubborn we're going to do it our way we're going to do it till our last breath and maybe that'll be our victory we think that we're, we we live this life and did it our way if that's you sir or you ma'am that I'm talking to please don't continue to live like a fool because God loves you and he brought you here to try to plead with you maybe one last time I don't know it's just a thought let me go on the world system now we get a little bit more into the definition the world system is first of all atheistic you said but Randy there's lots of world religions there's Islam and Buddhism Hinduism and, and, and Christianity and yes but when I say the world system is atheistic it is the belief system that says all things considered the real God the one true God he doesn't really matter. You can kind of pick whatever God you want. If you, if you need a God, pick a God. You know, you can be a Hindu, you can be a Bo um, Buddhist, you can be a Muslim, whatever. It doesn't really matter. It treats God as though he's either really not there, or if he's there, he's, he's not significant. That's what I mean by atheistic. It is an atheistic worldview. 
but it's also humanistic. I'm the center, not the creator. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about my desires, my feelings, my thoughts, my truth, as though my truth is going to dictate over the truth, and we just know that's not so. And it's fatalistic. It, it's, it's we humans saying, okay, so I only get 50 years, 75 years, 100 years. At least I'm going to have my hands on the wheel. I'm going to do it my way until my last breath. I'm not going to listen to anybody. I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it. It's accepting that though we were meant to be immortal beings, live in the very kingdom of God in perfection, we forsake it for a few uncertain years of having our hands on the wheel, doing it our way. So it's atheistic, humanistic, fatalistic. Because it's fatalistic, it's also hedonistic. Because I'm settling for a few uncertain years, 50, 75, 100. I'm now going to get all the pleasure that I can. What, whatever I think will give me some pleasure, whatever will avoid pain, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to embrace. I'm going to just accept that I'm going to have limited pleasure, but at least I'm going to do things my way until my last breath. And no one's going to tell me what to do, not even God. That's kind of the system. But finally, it's despotic. And by that, I mean that the world system... It initially offers us a lot of freedom and a lot of control, but it always, always has a, a demand tacked to the end. Now, I'm going to say something that I didn't say in the first service that I meant to say did not say, and it's really, really important. We are living at a time where there's going to be more and more intense pressure for you and I to, be, to view ourselves as global citizens not citizens of any nation in particular, global citizens. We are going to be pressured and squeezed more and more to accept a global economy, uh, an economy where everybody's dependent upon the, the same source of drawing rights. It'll, it'll be a cashless society. And, and we're going to be pushed, listen to this part carefully, we're going to be pushed toward a new kind of spirituality. It's a kind of a spirituality that has never appeared on the planet before. It's going to be counter to everything that the Bible says. It's going to completely contradict Christ. It's going to probably contradict who he is, why he was here, what he accomplished. You and I are living in a time. We're going to see this, our generation. We're going to be squeezed. This, this, this world system is despotic. It uses the carrot and it uses the stick. It'll seduce and it'll threaten. It'll intimidate and seduce back and forth. But it's going to more and more insist that we go along to get along. It's going to insist that we see ourselves as citizens of the, the world order. It's going to insist that we all enter into one economic system to the point that in order to buy or sell, we will have to have a certain mark, a certain demarcation that all of our allegiance is now going to be given to this new kind of worship, this new kind of spirituality, a worship of a being that the planet has seen before but will see again in a new way so you have to just face it like i said at the beginning of this rise to the challenge series some challenges we choose but some challenges choose us you i we have been chosen to have the honor to have the privilege to live at the the closing of the age the transition of the age where the return of christ and the setup of the kingdom of god is likely going to occur in your lifetime now, we can rise to the challenge or we can bury our heads in the sand. I hope you all choose to rise to the challenge, but you need to know what's coming. We're going to face pressure of the likes we've never seen before. It's a despotic, demanding, 
to the point that it will say, unless you have this mark on your hand or your head, you will not get any ability to buy anything or to sell anything, which makes it very hard to even survive. That's what's, that's what's coming. That's what God, who loves us in his word, has forewarned us about. It, it's meant to bring the best out in his people. It's meant to bring courage that we don't now have. It's meant to bring a, a rise in our trust that we don't now have. It's meant to bring lots of good, but it is not going to be an easy ride. Jesus going to the cross. The cross didn't look very easy to me. Getting whipped and beaten and nailed to a cross doesn't look very easy, and yet he tells us that we are to follow his example. So we shouldn't be surprised that God lovingly will allow us to go through some experiences that will stretch us greatly and throw us on dependence on him but that's a good thing that's not a, it's not a bad thing all right let me go on about the system it's pervasive and persuasive we can't escape it in fact we live in a day and age with media and technology that it's more pervasive than it's ever been the propaganda is endless you cannot i cannot escape the propaganda it's pervasive and it's always trying to persuade us to just blend in, to just go along, just live like everybody else, think like everybody else, just live for today, don't, don't think about meaning, don't think about purpose, don't think about immortality, don't think about death until you have to, all these kinds of things. Don't think about investing your life in something that has eternal meaning. It, it, it doesn't want any of that. It activates our fears. It, it says if you want to get along you're going to have to go along if you want to be accepted you've got to blend in if you want to be popular you have to think this way look this way do these things think these things be a part of this it's very persuasive but it plays on our fears it threatens to ostracize us to to put us into a place where we're mocked and we're disrespected and that makes it powerful let me go on it's also sophisticated and seductive it, it, it charms us it dis disorients us it it draws us it, it pulls us in i'll have more to say about that a little later in the message arousing our desires so the world is a powerful pervasive force you can't escape it i can't escape it but we can overcome it jesus said that he overcame it and we can overcome it. we overcome it by seeing it for what it is and refusing to allow it to have influence on ourselves. And we'll, we'll get more to that as the message goes on. So let me go to the second point. Resisting its persuasiveness. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not, what is the word? Conform. Stop blending in, it says. Don't be molded. Don't be shaped. Don't go along to get along. Don't be silenced. Don't, don't, don't cave in, however you want to say it. Do not conform to the pattern of this what? World. Just don't. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This goes back to the Word of God. Jesus said, you know, you guys, I've given you the Word, and because you have the God's Word and God's truth, the world hates you. You're not of the world. I'm not of the world. The way we become capable of not conforming, because it's really hard, I mean, everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to fit in. Nobody wants to be looked upon as, you know, being stupid or unnecessarily uh, argumentative or anything like that. Unless my mind is saturated, renewed with the Word of God, unless my view of life is based on God's Word, I will not have the interior strength to be able to not conform, to, to not go along with the world and its ideas and its trends and its values and its decision-making ideas and so forth. 
Let's go on a second. So here's the second part. The world, like I said, it's sophisticated and seductive. The Apostle John reminds us, he says, don't love, do not love this world, which means it's possible for me to get so wild, so dazzled, so enamored, so excited about things in this world that it wins my affection. It's, it starts stirring my enjoyment. I, I like it. I admire it. I, I want to be part of it. I want to enjoy its good things. Do not love this world. Don't let it get a grip on a heart. In other words, John is saying, do not love this world nor the things it offers offers you for when you love the world you do not have the love of the father in you how can the love of the father be in us if we love this world as it is if you and i love this world as it is where there is disease where there is death where there is accidents where there is betrayal where there's heartbreak where there's abandonment where there's crime when, when there's suffering on a global scale where there's endless savage competition where people will kill for money or a job promotion i mean if we love things as they are where people get old and suffer and die and experience excruciating pain there's something wrong with us something has died in us if we accept this world as it is if we love it as it is it's not good but because we've been immersed in it it's hard to see it it's hard to see what you're living within so he says you you love the world you do not have the love of the father in you for the world Offers now it does it does offer some enticing things. It offers only a craving for physical pleasure. The world offers lots of varieties of pleasures, more in our day than any time in history. A craving for everything we see. I mean, we all enjoy beautiful things, nice things. God even wired us that way, but we have to be willing to draw some lines, some boundaries, and pride in our achievements. Now everybody likes to achieve and do a good job. There's nothing wrong with that. But but when that starts to consume me, when my life becomes about what I've accomplished, what I've achieved, what I have, what I possess, what where I live, what I do, you know, when those things become too big in my heart, then the world has gotten its grip on me. And the pride in our achievements and possessions, these are not from the Father but are from this world now it's not saying that we shouldn't achieve anything it's not saying that we shouldn't possess anything it's not at all it's saying when these things become too important to us and that's where it gets really really spiritually sensitive you see only you in brutal honesty with your own soul and with God can surmise do these things have too big of a grip on me do, do I care too much about achievements you know do I care too much about my possessions do, do I care too much about pleasure and comfort and luxury I, I mean I can't answer that for you you can't answer it for me we've got to be brutally honest with ourselves and with God but if these things get a grip on our heart they start seducing they start pulling and and their pull is relentless man it'll pull you and I so that we waste our God-given gifts, our God-given opportunities, our God-given talents, our God-given learnings. We never have the time, the energy, the inclination, the desire to pour ourselves out and give something that's going to have everlasting value. When you invest your life in serving in some way another human being, and particularly those that are apart from Christ, you're doing something that has eternal potential. But if we get too hooked in these things, there won't be anything left. We'll, we'll just, you know... Well, our next big achievement is all we'll be thinking about. Our next raise, our next promotion, uh, our, our next <laughs> new set of furniture or lines in our yard or whatever the heck gets us off. You know, there's all kinds of crazy things we, we can get enamored with that will steal our souls away. So let's go on. 
the world system seduces with the offer. These are the five main things. It seduces us with the offer of pleasures. Like I said before, there's more pleasure available today than ever in human history. And some of us, we're addicted to pleasure, perhaps. I hope not. It offers us possessions. Newer, nicer, bigger, better. Newer, nicer, bigger, better. You know, you can just go on forever until your last breath. It offers us popularity. There's never, been, there's never been a generation that's more concerned or interested in popularity than ours today. Social media has made this a big deal, and it's so laughable. I'm, I'm going to just insult some of you for a minute. <laughs> if, if you or I, you're, you're going to really hate me for this. I'm just going to say it. If you, you or I die tomorrow, Here's the truth. We're going to be talked about for a couple weeks and forgotten forever, for the most part. There'll be a few people that really love us. They'll remember us a little longer. But I'm trying to explain to you that if we just invest ourselves in this stuff, your popularity, my popularity is laughable. It's meaningless. If I am not popular in heaven, if I am not popular in the eyes of Jesus, my creator, that's, that's all that matters. His opinion matters about you, about me, and you're going to find that the opinions of other people that we sometimes are so terrified of, you know, attaining and retaining, it doesn't mean anything. We live our lives sometimes as prisoners to the opinions and the popularity, trying to please everybody, and... If we wake up, we'll see this is the power of the world again, trying to manipulate us, trying to con us, trying to shape us and imprison us. Popularity and then prestige. Prestige is it's like now, not only am I popular, but people are looking up to me. They admire me. I have various uh, abilities and prowess and achievements, and, and it gives you this feeling of esteem as opposed to your esteem, your value coming from the fact that Christ created you and loved you enough to die for you. We get it from feeling, oh, look at me. People look at me. They know who I am. And then the last one, power. This is, this is the last on the pinnacle. It's really funny to watch some people, human beings, go through this in their life. You know, they achieve one, the other, the other, and then they, the last one is power. I want control. I want to control you. I want to control everything. I want to control the world, you know. This is the last little bit of bait that the world system offers people. And usually by the time they get to this one, it's almost time to check out. It takes a long time to get this one, and your heart's just about ready to beat its last. And then the laughter of demonic voices can be heard because you've lost your soul because the world has taken you prisoner and a slave. That should not be true of any of us in this room, and a loving God does not want that to be true of any of us in this room. Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament gives us some good instruction. We're instructed to turn from godless living. Stop living as though God doesn't exist. Let him be the center of our existence. We're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world. God is very forthright about the condition of this world. With wisdom, I must remind myself what matters is what Christ thinks of me. What matters is what my eternal outcome will be. With wisdom, with righteousness, God has designed me to live a certain way, and it's the best way a person can live. It is to be Christ-like. It is to do what God says is right. 
and devotion to God. I was made by Christ, the scripture says, and I was made for Christ. And apart from him, my life doesn't cohere. I'll never become who I was meant to be. I'll never do what I was meant to do apart from a deep day-to-day, hour-to-hour union with Christ, my creator. And that's not for religious fanatics. That's for normal human beings. That's, that's the way we were designed. That's the way we were made. So here's the contrast to being engulfed by the world system and having our minds uh, enslaved by the system. Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says something really phenomenally interesting to me, and I hope to you. Paul says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, Paul? Why, why would you boast about that? Because of that cross, my interest in what? This world has been crucified. That's weird language. And the world's interest in me has also died. What was Paul saying? Paul's saying, when, when I saw the powers of the world collude together to take the most beautiful life, the life, <laughs> the life of the Creator Himself, the sustainer of life, the most sacrificially loving being in the universe, when I saw that that the brutal political forces of Rome and the, the corrupt forces of false religion and Judaism at the time, when I saw the forces of brutality and cruelty and violence come together to try to kill God from his own universe, take God out of his own universe, Paul said, that was it. The world was dead to me, crucified. When they crucified him, it was crucified to me. The world lost any appeal, any hold, any grip is what Paul is saying on my soul. I saw it. I saw its ugly face. I saw it for what it is. It couldn't influence me ever again. And Paul admits it's also not interested in me anymore either because Paul was a guy that for 32 years, just like Jesus said, he took that truth, God's truth, back into the world, enlightening those that can be reached and calling people out of darkness into the light of God's purpose and kingdom that he has all along for all people. Now, some of you have heard me, as I close out, talk about one movie more than any other movie because it gives the very best example that I've ever seen of this world system and how to understand this. How many saw the first Matrix? The rest of the Matrix, don't waste your time. They're just trash. They're, <laughs> the first one is cool. It's got a lot going for it, the first one. But let me tell you a little bit about it for you that have never seen The Matrix. The Matrix is essentially about this world where artificial intelligence has taken over humanity and it has captured every human being on the planet and put them in these pods. So they're, the humans are enslaved in these pods and they're all wired up and the artificial intelligence machines are deriving energy from them. So, you know, a human being, you're like a 100-year storage battery, you know. They could draw energy from you for 100 years. Pretty good deal. So... But what they're doing is, while you're in this pod, enslaved, they're injecting in every human being's mind normal, everyday life. So everybody on the planet thinks they're going about business just like we do today. But it's all just being injected in their minds. If you haven't seen the first Matrix, it's worth seeing. At one point, there's a conversation between two of the key characters, Morpheus and Neo. Let me, let me share it with you. Morpheus, he's explaining to Neo what the Matrix is. The matrix is everywhere. It's all around us, even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. 
it is this is the key this is the key it is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from what the truth that's what the world wants to do to us that's what satan wants it to do to blind us from the truth to keep us busy and foolish until the last beat of our heart and apart from god's beautiful intended destiny for our life in this world next the conversation goes on neo says what truth morpheus that you are a slave neo like everyone else you were born into bondage into a prison that you cannot taste or see or touch a prison for your what your mind best description of the world system i've ever seen anywhere let me close with these thoughts the world promises more than it can provide and leaves us deceived, disappointed, debilitated, and destroyed. It laughs when we breathe our last breath. Don't be a part of it. Be those, like Jesus said, that are not of the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. And then finally this. But if we rise to the challenge of the world, and we must rise, we can't avoid it, we must rise to this challenge, we will be ever developing no circumstance you and I will ever get in in life that God won't be with us and that he won't enable us to grow to develop and to overcome by doing what is right doesn't mean we won't suffer some hardships we will be ever developing dangerous and we will be dangerous truth carriers dangerous in a beautiful way we will be those that take god's truth you all raised your hands earlier about yes yeah, somebody invited me to church somebody spoke to me about christ somebody had a spiritual conversation with me someone helped turn the light on in your life you are powerful christian this world system wants to silence us though it wants us to get so preoccupied with its seductions that we have no energy or inclination to open our mouths and share god's truth or it wants us to be so intimidated so afraid to share the truth that we are silenced and nullified but man if we if we go on if we rise this challenge we'll be we'll be dangerous truth carriers dangerous in a beautiful way North Korea considers it dangerous when people bring the truth into their world of darkness because they know the truth, as Jesus said, will do what? Set people free. Let me close with a couple thoughts. If you're here today and you've never actually, in a world where everybody's following somebody, I don't care who you are, everybody's following somebody. Most of us are following ourselves. If you've never made a decision to put your trust in Christ, the creator of the universe, and the one that has proven his trustworthiness by his sacrificial death on the cross for you, for me, if you've never put your trust in Christ and become his follower, the Bible says that's the key step in any human's life. When you make that decision to trust Christ and become his follower, God gives you forgiveness of all your sins. And he guarantees you the free gift of eternal life in his kingdom forevermore. Your best days are all ahead of you. We don't experience the best days here. They're yet to come. So if you've never made that decision, and nobody can make this decision for you, and don't mistake it with religious inclinations or sentiment or being a part of a church, it's about your personal trust in Christ and becoming his follower. And you're going to follow him fully, freely, and forever if you really trust him. If you've never done that, sir, ma'am, whoever, young person old person this might be your last opportunity I don't want that to be so but it could be 
And, and I've just had this thing. I, I, I broke down earlier in the message and said some things I didn't intend to. There's somebody in this room today, and I'm telling you, your life is hanging in the balance. I don't say these kind of things. I've been doing this church for 32 years, and you didn't know me the longest you know that I don't. So if you know who you are, may the Spirit of God have His way in your heart today. And for the rest of us, can we determine this day we will rise to the challenge. We will not be engulfed by this world. We will not be silenced. We will not be intimidated. We will not be seduced. We will be those that carry the truth about God, the truth about life into our world, into our circles of influence. We will be bold. We will be tactful. We will be humble. But we will be forthright and we will be unstoppable until Jesus' kingdom comes and his will is done. I hope that echoes in your heart. And if it does, this county will start seeing the results of it. Let's pray. Father, you know us and you've known us from eternity. May your spirit have his way in our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.